Good morning and good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for some morning coffee with Larry, and I am glad that you are here to join with me today. And today is Friday. I love Fridays. Mm. Actually, they're exciting every week, but, you know, since I've been working from home, it's almost like every day's a Friday, a little bit of Friday. <laughs> Because I can do a few things, you know, uh, more in the morning. And if I need to do something over my lunch break, I can. So that's kind of neat. But anyway, welcome to Friday, the 15th of May. Ah, I am having just some good old Lipton tea today with uh, some honey uh, from uh, South Florida, uh, from the mangrove Um hives down there so it's got some different flavors it's a dark honey but it's it's good anyway i hope you are all doing well if you're listening to this podcast right away you may and you're in my area you've gone through a storm this morning and i hope that you uh remembered after such a nice lovely day and evening when you opened up the windows to let some fresh air in that you didn't have the open windows open wide on the west side of the house so that it rained in on all your um uh furniture <laughs> your uh uh, I don't know, what do you call that? The little ledge by the window. Our windows have a pretty significant ledge. It's about five inches. And yeah, all of a sudden I got up and I thought, I wonder if it's raining in. Oh, yes, it did. Because we had some windows very wide open. So get in there, check them, wipe them dry, and get ready to enjoy your day. We are halfway through May. This is just nuts. Time is moving so fast. I'm not happy about that. That means like I'm going to blink my eyes. My kids are going to be 40. I'm going to be in my 70s. Ugh. Hey, I'm listening and we've got the, the, the thunder and everything is passed. Then it was like calm. Now we're getting some heavier rain. It sounds like just starting in. Oh, well, I... I'm, I don't have to worry about feeding the animals this morning because my granddaughter and my wife plan planning on doing it, but I don't think they were planning on having rain this morning. So the animals may get fed a little bit later on, you know. They don't like, uh, uh, I mean, they'll all be hunkered down anyway. Goats do not like standing out in the rain. But I'll tell you, our two miniature horses, I don't know what's up with them. But they will stand out in the rain, just a munching. It doesn't bother them. They've got shelter to go into, but they just, they, they don't mind. They like it. If it's snowing outside, they're outside walking around, letting snow build up on their back a little bit. I mean, they're just, they're just casual guys. They're, they're not worried about anything. As long as they've got something to munch, they're good to go. <laughs> Hmm. Well, what I want to talk about today, there was a, um, a, uh, a question that was posed in a therapist group that I subscribe to or, or I'm in on Facebook. And the, uh, the question was, you know, what is something you wish you knew at the start of your practice? And there was like 
14 people or something like that that had already responded. And uh, so if it's at the beginning, I don't mind popping in on it. Uh, but there's enough people, there's several thousand therapists in this group. And uh, it's not uncommon for by the time I see a post, which it doesn't mean it's that old, there's like 400 comments. And it's like, what's the point in commenting when there's 400? If somebody asks a question or something, they've, they've figured it out after the first, you know, 20. They don't need the 400. <laughs> but uh, so I chimed in there. And what was kind of interesting, I was reading each of the different... Oh, me. I was reading each of the different posts that had been made. And almost every one of them was having to do with financial, uh, you know, like the finance part of running a private practice, savings, investing, that kind of stuff. And and uh, I was thinking, you know, I, I was very blessed very early on. Um, I had parents that saved. They were depression kids. They had, you know, they had lived that out inside of me. I hadn't fully embraced it because I was, you know, still a snot-nosed punk kid. But, you know, when I was out, got out of college, I, I, um, I had had that as a, a background. And then also that first, I think it was that first fall that I was working at mental health, there was a couple of guys from Accelerated Investment Management, AIMS, and it was... Uh, uh, Ted Black and Dave Cruz. And Ted Black, he used to be uh, an extremely well-respected uh, band instructor at Effingham. And Dave Cruz, uh, a fraternity brother of mine in uh, our music fraternity up at Eastern. And they came and gave a presentation on savings and investing. So, you know, I had, and I started doing that right that first, you know, first year out of the out of college. So, you know, I had that as a benefit, but a lot of people, yeah, finances, that seemed to be a, a hot topic. And as I was thinking about it, I've, I've had the answer and I have said the answer for a decade. And that is, I wish that I had had from the start uh, a, uh, a form that is called um, Challenging Beliefs Worksheet. Or I, I actually, I, I kind of modified it a little bit. Uh, I call it challenging my beliefs. But it's from cognitive processing therapy, which is a treatment for PTSD. I wish I had this two-page form that I, you know, it's, it's at, in, the, in the formal thing. It's tiny print and it's one page. And I just simply made it look a little prettier and it's front and back. I wish I would have had that from the start. I seriously do. If I had that 32 years ago, if I had that 30 years ago, then I can tell you that the the approach, my practice, would have been very different. I mean, I'm going to say, it would have been a lot more productive in many cases because this is a wonderful worksheet. I routinely call this a therapy session on a sheet of paper. And you can learn to do it yourself to help you. And I thought, you know what, for the podcast, I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction here. Um, 
And in what it is, it's broken down into parts, and it does follow a cognitive approach, which means it's the idea that you change your thinking to change your behavior. Behavioristic approach says you change the behavior to change your thinking. It's kind of like uh, <clears throat> each way is, is a direction of traffic flow on a street. You're getting to uh, hopefully the uh, the same goal, but it's it's different directions. And it starts off with the the premise that uh, in the way you use this worksheet is uh, the first part you have to recognize where a situation is that's causing you problems, causing you distress, and then you identify what the belief is that you're telling yourself in that situation and what the emotion is that you feel that comes out of that belief. See, most people think that situations cause us to feel a particular emotion, and that's not accurate. If it did, if situations had that level of control and caused us to feel that way, then every single person in that situation would have that, that same emotion. And that's not the case. You can. It's easy to come up with a million examples that you know uh, different people will feel differently in the same situation. So what what is the missing component? It's the belief. The belief in the middle. You see, situations trigger a belief, and everybody could have a different belief about the situation. Then from that belief, the emotion grows. So this worksheet kind of guides you to help you to find what that belief is. Now, think of uh, a belief and the importance of accuracy. If you have an inaccurate belief, any decision you make based upon that belief is going to be what? Inaccurate. It's not going to be working like it should. It's kind of like this. Uh, if you want to draw... Let's say you're, you're measuring things. You're working on a wood project or a home improvement project, and you need to measure something. So you grab your tape measure. If tape measures were not accurately standardized, if, the, if an inch on a tape measure varied from tape measure to tape measure, how good is it going to be? Well, it may work kind of on one project, but if you're taking readings from somebody else's project and it's off, it's not going to work. It's not going to work at all. So the accuracy of beliefs is really important. So what we do is we move from the first part where we identify the situation, the belief, and the emotion, and we move into what's called challenge questions. Now, a lot of times in a therapy session, I use Socratic reasoning or Socratic method uh, as a replacement for the challenge questions. It gives me the freedom to really bounce around with the questions to determine the accuracy of a belief. But if you're not really good at Socratic method, then these challenge questions are fantastic. And in the original cognitive processing therapy, there's 10 questions. I took one of the questions, I split it into two so that there's 11. But just to give you kind of an idea, you use these questions to challenge that belief. You see, if a belief is accurate and true, 
then it can stand up to scrutiny. If it's not accurate and true, you're going to shoot holes in it. It's going to start filling with water and the boat's going to sink. So what are some of these challenge questions? Well, I'm just going to quickly go down and I'm not going to take a lot of time to explain them. But what you start off with, what is the evidence for this idea? Think of it like in a courtroom. And uh, you have to look at what's the evidence that supports this belief that you, you've identified. The second question is, what's the evidence against the belief? Kind of like what your two attorneys do in a court of law. Then the questions follow with, is my view on the situation too extreme to be accurate? Because sometimes those beliefs get way out of hand. And, and if you tried to convince somebody of it, they would look at you and go, seriously, that's a little too extreme. Question four is, am I thinking in all or none terms? Am I either down at 0% or 100%? Am I ignoring everything in between? Am I saying, well, it's got to be this way or boom, 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 boom. I had a lot of couples that came to me for marriage counseling in my private practice. And basically they were saying, well, either we are going to live in this horrible, terrible marriage or we have to get a divorce. And I said, you know, there's another option in the middle. How about fix the marriage? How about make the marriage the way God wanted you to have your marriage? Doesn't have to be at one extreme or the other. What about improving it? Uh, number six is, I'm sorry, number five, am I using extreme or exaggerated words? And these would be like all, always, forever, never, need, should, must, can't, every time. Those kind of words, if, if you're in an argument with somebody and they say, you always do that or you never do that, what's the first thing you're going to do? <laughs> you're going to remember situations where that wasn't true. If they're saying you never do something, you're going to think of situations where you have. If they say you, you always do something, you're going to think of situations when you haven't. So are they using extreme or exaggerated words? Number six, am I taking the situation out of context? Am I taking it completely out of context? This is a common thing that you see a lot of people do uh, with Bible verses. They're looking to, they have a belief and they start looking for evidence in the Bible for a moral, you know, reason for believing it. And they'll find a part of a verse, a phrase, or a verse, a, a whole verse. But when they take it out of context and apply it here, it's, it's really, it's not accurate. It's not accurate at all. And so, you know, is the person or is this belief taking, you know, it out of context? Number seven, am I focusing on only one aspect of the event rather than the whole event? Am I just looking at one thing or am I really looking at everything? Number eight, am I or the other person saying the belief a reliable source of information? Is the person that is telling me this belief that keeps repeating it, are they truthful? Are they telling me the truth? Or am I telling myself the truth? Yeah. Is, am I or the other person a reliable source of information? Number nine, am I confusing probability with possibility? Everything may be possible, but not everything is probable. And that's, that's a key thing to, to think about. 
It's possible that something could happen, but is it probable based upon evidence? Number uh, 10, are my judgments based on feelings or facts? Am I saying, well, I feel strongly about this, so it must be true? Just because you have a strong emotion about something doesn't magically make it true. You need to have facts. You need to have evidence. What's your judgment based on? Emotion or evidence? If you went to a courtroom and you were being accused, do you want the judge to just consider evidence or do you want them to just consider emotion? And number 11, am I focusing on irrelevant factors? Factors that really don't matter in this situation, but somehow you get hung up on them. So when you go through all those questions, now you have to look at that belief. Have you shot a whole bunch of holes in it? Was it able to stand up to your attacks or did it crumble? And so then what we do, and on my sheet of paper, it's on the back side, is a question. Based upon my answers to these challenge questions, is the belief realistic? Is that belief that we identify at the beginning of this process, is it realistic? Is it accurate? Is it truthful after we have gone through the challenge questions? And you kind of assess yourself. You know, is it accurate? Zero to 100%. And is it believable? Because what I find is a lot of people will say, well, it's not accurate, but I still kind of believe it. Why? You don't have anything as an alternative to believe. And so you stick with what you've believed in the past. So the next step in this is we have to create a new alternate belief statement. And it goes with this question, how would you rewrite your belief to make it accurate and believable? You see, it needs to be accurate. How accurate? I say 100%. Because if there's something that's not accurate in it, that's just another lie. You see, the best lies out there are mostly accurate. Because they deceive us into believing along with the accurate part, the inaccurate part. If you have something that's completely 100% false, you'll reject it. But let's say if it's 90% accurate, if it's 95% accurate, well, heck, you'll believe it. You'll compromise that other part. And you don't want to do that because all you've done is create another lie. So it needs to be 100% accurate. Your believability will probably increase, but it's going to take time for you to believe it fully. And then I have the person here uh, look at what emotions do you feel when you read the new alternate belief statement. So I'll have people read it out loud in my office five times in a row. And as they read, I tell them, read it with a level of confidence. And when you get to the fifth time reading it, pay attention to the emotion that you feel on the inside. Because again, emotions come out of beliefs. So we've got this new belief. Let's see what the emotion is. And pretty well everybody says, yeah, I'm feeling something different. I've got a different emotion. They went from angry to satisfied or content. They went from uh, distress or, or, you know, anger or shame to 
relief. So they, their emotion changes with the new alternate belief. So now the final part, and this isn't a part of, of cognitive processing therapy. This is something I've added to it because just because you got a part doesn't mean it's installed. Just because you have a new belief doesn't mean you've put it into practice in your thinking and in your life. You know, about a year ago, I had to, I had a uh, check engine light go on in my truck. So I went down to local, what was it, AutoZone. And I said, hey, I got a code out here on my, my check engine light. Could you check it? And so the gal comes out plugs the thing in, goes to the computer, and then says, oh, yeah, you've got a bad sensor. Uh, would you like to buy one and put it in? And I said, well, I'm not a mechanic. Uh, can I put this in or not? And she said, oh, I'm sure you can. She showed me how you just take these two screws out of this thing underneath the hood. It was real easy. Then put the new one on, screw those two screws in. You're good to go. Bada boom, bada bean. And so I said, yes, I will purchase that. But I didn't have any tools on me, so I was going to just drive home and then get out my tool bag. Well, I'm driving home and my truck is still acting up. Why? Why is my truck acting up? I bought the new part. It's in my hand. Why isn't it, you know, why is my truck still acting up? Well, idiot, it's because, I'm calling myself an idiot if I said that, you haven't installed the new part. Buying the new part doesn't automatically make it work. You have to install it on the car. So how do we install a new belief when we believed another one, a false one, possibly for many, many years? Well, going back to what I had the person do just a moment ago, I have the person read the alternate belief statement five times in a row, five times a day. I have them read it out loud, preferably standing up and looking in a mirror. Why? Whenever, whenever you read something important, you stand up. And if you look in the mirror, it has a different effect than if you're just, you know, reading something. And they have to read it out loud. Speak it with your mouth so you hear it with your ears. And I have them do that five times in a row, five times a day. So that's 25 repetitions of the alternate belief every day. How long do they need to do it? They need to do it until the old belief does not automatically come to their mind and the new belief is what they're thinking and responding to. So you do it five times in a row, five times a day. That's 25 times a day. That is 175 times a week. In two weeks, that's 350 times. And in a four-week month, if you keep that up, that's 700 times. That's how you install new beliefs repetition. And then the very bottom of the page is a little sequence that I have seen and have come to believe that it is very powerful. First thing you need to do is write it in your own handwriting. Then you speak it with your mouth so you hear it with your ears. When you get to the point where you believe it, then you are able to live it. Write it, speak it, believe it, live it. And that, my dear friends, is the Challenging My Beliefs worksheet. I'm going to take uh, uh, photos of this sheet as I've re redone it from the original. Uh, 
and uh, I'm going to put it out there on the page so you can take a look at it. But this is what I use in therapy sessions. This is what I wish I had 30 years ago. And um, that, that, that would have been great. <laughs> I find it helpful, not just for PTSD, but for really for any kind of condition. And if a person if, you know, has a personality disorder, this is very helpful with it. This is a great vehicle for improving our thinking. All right, that's it for today. Have a great one, everybody. Make the most of this weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye.